Emerging markets have really started to outperform, and it could be the market's way of being more forward-looking, looking for a potential deal with China, which is clearly where we are, or just like you said, that clarity is finally coming in. But for the year, S&P's up over 25%, emerging markets up just about double digits, so they've underperformed, but again, they've taken the baton recently. What do you think? This trade deal is legit. Emerging markets really could have a pretty good 2020, correct? Absolutely. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Ryan Dietrich here and up on the phone up in Boston is my good friend Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, how's life up in Boston treating you? It treated me well today. Thanks, Ryan. Um, we're unfortunately going to get a little bit of snow again tonight and into tomorrow morning. So uh, we'll just enjoy the uh, clear skies uh, for, for one more day. Now, being down here in South Carolina, it's 67 degrees today. What, what is snow? Never heard of that. What is that? Uh, don't rub it in. <laughs> I know. The high is 37 today, and I think that's actually go. pretty good. That's good. Yeah, Jeff, we, you know, we were just talking a second before we came on the air. My wife was up in Cincinnati, where we're from, wrapping presents. She always goes up before the holidays and wraps presents, so I was in charge of the three kids. And I know all the listeners will be very happy to hear they are all alive. That's my goal when she leaves is to keep them alive. But the boys had a semi-final flag football game yesterday. And it was a it was a real nail biter. But Sebastian was a quarterback. Ended up with three touchdowns passing, two of them to Gus, his younger brother, and we won right at the end. And tonight at 5:30 Eastern time down here in Fort Mill, South Carolina, where has the championship game of our flag football league. So by the time people listen to this, we'll have either won or lost. But um, and I'll give an update maybe next week. But it, it'll be I'm I'm pumped. I mean I I'm here at work, but my head is not paying attention to Marcus Jeff. I'm thinking about you know eight and nine year old flag football. All right. Well, good Good luck to the boys. Uh, that's exciting. People will be more focused on that probably than uh, than Monday Night Football. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, so Jeff, you know, let, let's just get right into it. You know, we had a – well, I mean, I saw – what is it? The S&P's up nine of the last ten weeks, up again last week, seeing new highs globally. So whatever we talk about today, the good news, equity markets are clearly uh, very strong. We've had a really good – well, a spectacular year, I guess we could say, but we'll get into that. So, Jeff, we're going to talk about four things today. U.S.-China trade. We seem to have found some positive um, movements there regarding phase one on trade. We're going to dig into that. There was an election in the U.K. last week with Boris Johnson gaining um, pretty much control of parliament, which really could mean some positive steps for Brexit. We'll break that down. Also, the Fed last week had interest rate, um, well, interest rate meeting. They did not do anything with rates as we expected, but still, we're going to break that down and discuss what it all could mean. And then lastly, the NYSE composite, which is a composite of about 1,900 stocks on the NYSE, finally made a new high for the first time since January of 2018. And that's probably just further confirmation about this overall bull market uh, seeing various highs. So, Jeff... Let's get to China. I mean, I think we've probably talked about U.S.-China trade. I mean, Terrence is sitting here. We've talked about probably every week for about a a year and a half, it feels like. And last week, we had some positive steps. Phase one, as it it appears, is is not going to be signed until January, but it sure seems like both sides agree. We had those tariffs that were supposed to go into play on December 15th. Uh, 15% on $156 billion worth of Chinese goods was uh, pushed back, not going to take place anymore. Uh, they're saying at 30 days after the signing, Washington is going to remove some tariffs on $120 billion worth of Chinese goods from 15% to 7.5%, things like clothing and lawnmowers. 
Uh, China, in exchange, is going to start to buy anywhere from 40 to $50 billion of U.S. agriculture products a year, and they're looking to buy about $200 billion a year the next two years. So, Jeff, I kind of laid out the groundwork there. What are your initial reactions to what we heard? I guess this was technically what on Thursday and Friday these things were swirling. Late last week, what do you think? I guess this is about what uh, we would have expected. The you know, some of the sticking points were around uh, intellectual property protections and you know, forced uh, technology transfer, things like that. I guess the ag purchases was a little bit of a sticking point too. But some of these, you know, maybe less visible issues, um, you know, some things that the negotiators are working on behind the scenes. It looks like the U.S. got comfortable with the commitments that the Chinese um, have made here. So, you know, all in all, it, it, it's, we'll call it a consensus deal. Um, it, no, I don't think the most important thing is, you know, is this a good deal or a bad deal, uh, at least from a market perspective. I think that the most important thing here is that it does remove uh, the uncertainty, at least in the near term. Now, it's possible that we'll have a re-escalation of tensions as they work on phase two. There's no date set yet for that. But certainly the U.S. wants to start talks on phase two immediately. President Trump has not accomplished uh, everything here that he wants to accomplish. So um, I guess the other takeaway here is that this situation isn't over, but just the clarity uh, will, um, we think, uh, allow companies to uh, invest a little bit more. And you might see a little bit of a, a pickup in economic growth over the next several months as a result of this. Uh, interesting points there. And like you said, I mean, who won, who lost? I saw you know various articles over the weekend talking about at least for phase one. The bottom line, though, is the market seems to be winning. And let's talk about emerging markets for a second, Jeff. You know, we laid out our 2020 outlook, I guess it would have been two weeks ago. John and I talked about that. But emerging markets is a group that we continue to like. We continue to be overweight that area. All of a sudden, Jeff, I guess we'll call it the last three weeks or so, well, really longer than that, but just more recently, emerging markets have really started to outperform. And it could be the market's way of being more forward-looking, looking for a potential deal with China, which is clearly where we are, or just like you said, that clarity is finally coming in. But for the year, S&P's up over 25%, emerging markets up just about double digits. So they've underperformed, but again, they've taken the baton recently. What do you think? This trade deal is legit. Emerging markets really could have a pretty good 2020, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the Emerging Market Index has uh, uh, outperformed the uh, S&P 500 over the last three months. You know, it's a start, not by a lot. Right. Uh, we think that could continue, sure. Earnings growth expectations in emerging markets are a bit stronger than the U.S. We'll see if those forecasts actually uh, come true. You know, no doubt the trade deal helps, and uh, we saw some strength in the Asian markets late last week in anticipation of this deal. Uh, certainly the, the U.S. dollar weakness has helped. Right when you get a weaker dollar, that translates into better returns, all else equal, overseas. So we're, you know, I think that the stars are starting to align here for uh, emerging markets, and we continue to, to recommend a, a small allocation, but still an allocation to emerging market equities for our clients. Exactly. And, you know, the way I've kind of laid it out when I've done client events pretty much all this year, it was like the emerging markets this year and we like them next year, if you do not see a global recession on the horizon, which we don't, you know, emerging markets can be a really nice place to potentially find a little bit of alpha, some outperformance. And like you said, I don't think most people are aware of the last three months, um, like you mentioned, emerging markets have started to do well. Now, 
Let's remember, the fourth quarter last year, the worst quarter since financial crisis, worst December since the Great Depression for U.S. stocks. Emerging markets actually kind of outperformed in the fourth quarter as well. Then we got into 2019, and then they once again kind of lagged. But, you know, late year strength, but we do see that dollar. And I was going to talk a little bit more about the dollar, Jeff, when we talked about the U.K. with the pound. So maybe let's do that. Let's uh, any, any final quest- comments, Jeff, before we go to the next thing about the trade um, – discussions with China and phase one being potentially all wrapped up here. I say we keep rolling. I agree. So the next thing, the other big news last month, Boris Johnson, he won. They have uh, the majority in parliament. And the general consensus was they said, hey, if you vote for me, we're going to get Brexit done. So it was almost in a way another vote on Brexit and very strong results, which was fairly expected. But the bottom line, I guess this would have been on Thursday, right, Jeff? On Thursday, this vote happened. Huge gains across uh, the sea in the the U.K. and all over Europe, really. Um, The pound, the British pound, had a huge day, well over 1% move, which might not sound like a lot. But when you're talking about currencies, a 1% move is a very, very big deal. And let's talk about soft Brexit versus hard Brexit, Jeff. So let's go there. So the, the thinking was the pound soared because there likely wouldn't be a hard Brexit. What, just for the listeners, what is a soft Brexit versus hard Brexit, and why are we not likely going to see a hard Brexit now? A uh, hard Brexit is just a disorderly crashing out of the European Union with, with no agreement. Then, of course, the soft Brexit follows would be you know, the United Kingdom leaving the European Union with a negotiated agreement. And certainly the uncertainty that could have been created by uh, you know a sudden crash with no deal would have um, hurt economic growth, uh, certainly in the UK. The UK was already experiencing uh, economic weakness as a result of this long ordeal, right? I mean, we've been dealing with this for three years now. You know, with uh, Boris Johnson having the strong majority, um, he can, as you alluded to, push this through Parliament, get Brexit done at the end of January. However, um, that what that means is uh, they can negotiate the agreement, you know, all the details of the agreement over time. Right. Yeah. January 31st, 2020 is the next major deadline uh, that we see as it pertains to Brexit. But honestly, we've been talking about Brexit for several years now with all these big dates, and I continue to see things get punted back. Uh, but that's kind of where things stand with that. And let's talk, you know, about the, the move in the British pound. So the British pound has been very weak. Uh, last couple of months, all of a sudden, started to go higher. Now, the British pound, obviously, is a part of the euro. And the euro uh, currency, all of a sudden, has started to do relatively well, which kind of leads into what we talked about. The U.S. dollar has been starting to weaken. So, Jeff, as we go into 2020, could maybe this positive news with Brexit be a positive for the euro and maybe uh, potentially push the U.S. dollar a little bit lower, you think? Absolutely. That, that and um, the trade deal. Right. right. If you have... Um, more free trade, and you have um, capital flows going in both directions, uh, but in particular uh, from the U.S. elsewhere, uh, that can um, you know push the dollar lower. So we think we think that's probably where we're going to be. I mean, it, there there are crosswinds, right? The, the currencies are really hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we still have a a big gap between. You know, U.S. rates and, and international rates, right? Even though the Fed has cut three times, uh, you know, that's still dollar supportive that our Treasury yields are so much higher than sovereign debt yields uh, around the world. You know, on the margin, uh, this should be supportive of the euro, the U.K. election in particular. 
and then uh, certainly on the margin, the trade deal should be dollar negative. Yeah, I- exactly. Now, we wrote a blog on this, lplresearch.com. I guess it would have been la- late last week. And here's a quote from our chief investment strategist, John Lynch. He said, we hope this election result brings some clarity to the Brexit process as Europe's political woes have been a headwind for investors for some time. So that's a big question, Jeff. So with Brexit potentially um, you know, finally going to happen early next year, could it finally, after, gee whiz, what, 20 years of underperformance really from the, uh, Europe's point of view as it pertains to their equity markets, could it finally be time for Europe to start to outperform the U.S., you think, in 2020? Well, that's, that's not our house view, but I certainly right. acknowledge that there's a possibility of that. And currency can be such a big driver, first of all. So if we do get continued dollar weakness, uh, that'll help. But Europe still has a lot of challenges. Right. I mean, even with, let's call it, de-escalation in, in uh, trade tensions, not just between U.S. and China, but also between the U.S. and Europe, Europe's probably not going to grow any faster than maybe 1%. So, you know, and then conversely, look at the emerging world. Consensus expectations are for economic growth north of 4.5%. So, of course, the U.S. should be able to make a run at 2% now. You know, if you assume that this trade truce lasts uh, through through 2020. So, we're still going to get better growth in the U.S. and emerging markets, and that's where the majority of, of our investments are. But certainly, uh, things could get better. They already are getting better in Europe, right. and uh, we would anticipate at least better performance in, in Europe than we've seen in recent years yeah. uh, relative to the U.S. It's really struggled for a while. Good points. You know, I mean, the euro, or I'm sorry, it's called the Stocks Europe 600, which is kind of the European S&P 500 it's breaking out of a 20-year base. I mean, it's really gone nowhere for 20 years, and it's finally breaking out. So just you know, kind of the way I look at it from a technical point of view, that's a positive, right? We're finally getting some participation from Europe. It doesn't mean they have to lead, but at least they're participating. And I think it really kind of just gives another further backdrop that this is a global bull market. There's global participation. I mean, whatever the data says and whatever the Brexit says and U.S.-China trade talks, the bottom line is how the stock market is reacting and seeing this positive reaction is a positive. Now, Jeff, let's see. How much time do we have? We've got maybe eight minutes, so we're about at the middle here. I've got a question for you, though. Is it true that everyone in Boston records everything? I cannot confirm nor deny uh, that that is the case. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a Bengals fan. Obviously, that was the, the big sticking point with the Patriots down here, uh, or not down here, up in Cincinnati, I guess, potentially recording uh, some things. But it was funny because last night my wife, as I said, was in Cincinnati, and she was at the airport. And she looked out and saw the Patriots playing right there with the big 6X on it, uh, the six rings. And and uh, it was just funny. I told her, we'll record that plane and see how they like it. So I I don't think they cared because they destroyed my bangles. Got Terrence laughing over there. <laughs> it's true. The plane was there. It was snowing, and the plane was right there at the airport. It was kind of funny. Yeah. You got revenge in terms of the uh, the joke on Twitter. Yeah, that was was quite funny, but uh, yeah, yeah, certainly your Bengals didn't get any revenge. Yeah, they're winning in the first quarter, uh, and then then all those stolen that may have gone yeah, on. Yeah, they're winning the first quarter. All those stolen signs came back to haunt them with those four ints. I'm sure. So you know, anyway, hey, well, we're gonna get Joe Burrow though. How about that? The Ohio boy won the Heisman, so congrats to Joe Burrow. But nonetheless, let's get moving, Jeff. Two more things. The Fed, the Fed, as we expected last week, left rates where they were. 
in all likelihood, they're potentially, if you look at the Fed dot plots, they're likely going to be on pause all of 2020. You know, they had nine interest rate hikes coming into three cuts that we saw uh, this past fall. Now we're on pause. Again, nothing out of the ordinary what the Fed said it was expected. I think what I was impressed by was the fact the market took it in stride. You know, for a while there, it felt like every time Jerome Powell opened his mouth, the market sold off. But lately, um, he's been very well telegraphed what he's going to do, and the market takes it in stride. What are you, any major takeaways from what the Fed did last Wednesday? They clearly uh, secured the hold, right, the pause Yes, for quite some time. I would say, you know, some might wonder if um, this uh, de-escalation of trade tensions means that the Fed could hike. And I, I would actually say uh, no. It's certainly not in the next six months. Now, if we see uh, a really strong pickup in economic growth, I, I guess it's possible we could see a hike in 2020, but uh, historically, you see more uh, time pass between even a mid-cycle adjustment, right? They just cut rates a few times, and then and then the resumption of hikes uh, after. So that's probably off the table. I mean, it certainly maybe something that the market could worry about as we move through uh, 2020, but um, it looks like this uh, this pause is pretty secure, and, and it actually ties into the the trade situation and and even the UK elections, right? What, what happened last week was really the uh, removal of uncertainty across the board, right? Some of the biggest uncertainties over the past year or two uh, just got a lot clearer, right? In terms of trade, in terms of Brexit, and in terms of the Fed. So, um, you know, stock market can probably go a little bit higher here. Uh, you know, you know the seasonality as well as anybody, Ryan. The Santa Claus rally. I mean, it's hard to see what's going to get in the way of um, of, of stocks here uh, over the next several weeks. Yeah, uh, given uh, the positive news we just got. No, I, I agree there, Jeff. You know, you you mentioned something that kind of sparked something in my head there. Um, Paul Volcker, unfortunately, passed away. He was the Fed chairman uh, from the late 70s into the 80s. And you mentioned, um, by the way, he was the tallest Fed chairperson at seven or seven foot, six foot seven. But you mentioned a hike next year. Now, it is an election year in case you're living under a rock, as we all know. You know, could the Fed really hike rates in an election year and the, the policy? I mean, they shouldn't pay attention to what Washington's doing. They should pay attention to what, you know, inflation and jobs are doing. But still, it, it, that plays in. And then there was a story about Paul Volcker and, you know, ahead of with Ronald Reagan in 84. And I guess Reagan demanded or told him not to hike rates and, you know, how that went. So that there's something to think about. It could there be, a, if there's not a need for a rate hike, and especially the fact it's a election year, could there be hikes? I mean, believe me, there have been hikes ahead of elections before, uh, but that's just a different part of it. But, you know, our thoughts go out to the Volcker family. I, I read a lot of the, you know, the memorials, I guess we'll call it, that were written about him and truly a the public sector, private sector, just all the different things. And he came back in 2008 uh, with President Obama to help after the financial crisis, just all the different things that um, Paul Volcker did. We're, we're going to miss him. He was, he was a great one and a lot of cool stories, so be sure to check those out. Now, Jeff, the last thing, we've got yeah, three or four minutes here. The NYSE Composite made new all-time highs last week. Now, again, I think this is important because the NYSE Composite had not made new all-time highs since January of 2018. So another way to word this is for almost two years, the NYSE Composite, 1,900 stocks on the NYSE. Majority of them are U.S.-based, but there are some foreign companies in there as well. 
uh, didn't make new highs. It's just another further confirmation to kind of the global bull market. And what I looked into since 1980, I found there were eight times it went at least a year without new all-time highs. We just made new highs again uh, for the first time in almost two years. One year after those previous eight times, the NYSE composite was higher eight out of eight times, almost 14% on average. So long-winded version of saying, if you go a long time without new highs and finally get there, that can be another tailwind that for future strength uh, can be in play. And j- let's see, I have it here. Um, the last time, January 17. January 17 is the last time we went at least a year without an all-time high, and 17 was a pretty good year last I checked. So, I mean, what do you think, Jeff? Just what's it mean? A good sign, I hope? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's It's like building a really long-term base. And uh, if the market thinks about whether it should be higher for over a year and then it finally goes higher, it's probably doing so with a lot of evidence. So I would just argue that the market has a lot of evidence to suggest that you know, it should be up in the neighborhood of where it is right now or possibly uh, even, even higher. And uh, frankly, I'd, I'd say the downside risks, uh, at least in the near term for stocks, uh, are, are pretty limited. You know, these 5% pullbacks always come, and we'll get another one at some point. We'll, we'll, we'll get something a little bit worse at some point. But it's just um, it's, it's really a favorable uh, environment with all of this um, liquidity, the Fed on hold, got earnings growth picking up, you've got the trade deal, you've reduced uncertainty in the U.K. There's just a lot of things uh, going right. We didn't mention the Chinese data over the weekend was was good. Um, so uh, we're seeing a little bit of a pickup in global growth in addition to these positive events in the U.S. Uh, great points, Jeff. Maybe I'll wrap it up like this. Um, you know, the S&P in all likelihood is going to close up 20% for the year. So the question I had is, can stocks predict the economy? Or at the very least, can they potentially say what's, if there's going to be a recession or not? Jeff, I went back to World War II. I found 26 times the total return on the S&P 500 was at least a 20% gain. There is a recession the following year only twice. 1981 and 1991, so a double-dip recession in the early 80s, and then 91 was obviously partially due to Iraq invading Kuwait and the spike in oil. So those are the only two times out of 26 that we had a recession after a 20% gain. And again, that's our base case as we laid out in our outlook, 2020 bringing markets into focus, that we do not see a recession next year, and maybe the strong performance in stocks this year uh, can... um, suggests that's the case. So, Jeff, I'll go to you to do a sign-off, and I'll bring us home. Take us, take it away, Jeff, for a second. Great. I'll add, uh, Ryan, that uh, 20% years tend to be followed by pretty good years after. So don't think just because 2019 was so strong for stocks that we can't get more gains in uh, 2020. History suggests otherwise. Excellent point there. So thank you, Jeff, for participating this week. Thank you for all of our listeners. Please email us at LPL Market Signals Podcast at LPL.com with any questions or comments. And we love positive reviews. If you give us some positive reviews, that helps us bring um, this to just more listeners. So thank you very much to all the listeners. Enjoy, I guess, the second half of December. We are there. And we'll be back next week with the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals Podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. 
I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.